morning, everybody. Here at the hub and those in the main sanctuary. Uh, this week, we begin a fantastic new series in church, both from the pulpit and in the cell groups. You remember we started last year with a guide for Methodists called A Disciple's Path. And that was to help us to be more intentional and deliberate in becoming disciples of Jesus and to grow not just in understanding what it means to be a disciple, but also to grow in spiritual practices that disciples have. So this year, we continue with a disciple's heart to spur us on to become agents of God's transforming love in this world. On uh, page 13 of your bulletin, there's more details about uh, this workbook, A Disciple's Heart. You're all encouraged to purchase a workbook. The price is there. And work through this workbook in a cell group. If you need to talk to somebody, you have questions, there's a list of names there, item 13. Uh, is it item 13? No, page 13. But uh, there's a list of names there. This is going to be another exciting study because as those of you who went through the course last year will know, it's not just about head knowledge, but also about taking life-changing steps towards Christ-likeness. The focus is on the ongoing transformation of our hearts as we reshape our lives to become more like Jesus. Now, one of the more important and distinctive Methodist teachings is on Christian perfection. And that may sound very odd to some people. How can Christians be, be perfect? I know some of them. No way they are perfect. Isn't it arrogant to think that we can be perfect? And yet from the earliest days of our Methodist movement, way back in the 18th century, um, when we were actually still in the Church of England, John Wesley asked all Methodist preachers these three questions. Are you going on to perfection? Do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? Are you earnestly striving after it? And these three questions are still asked of every Methodist pastor before we can be ordained. Pastor Anthony, Pastor Yamkai, Pastor Melvin, Pastor Adrian, Pastor Stanley, even I, we all answered yes to these questions. Pastor Colin's turn will come in a few years. But every Methodist, not just the pastors, but every Methodist should be able to answer yes to these questions. Are you going on to perfection? Do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? Are you earnestly striving after it? It all depends on understanding what perfection is. After all, the popular magazine Christianity Today referred to perfection as John Wesley's most contentious doctrine. And so my text for today is a simple one. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. I'll read it out to you. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again 
the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Come, let's go to God in prayer. And so, Father, turn our hearts and minds toward you now. We pray you speak to all, our, all of us. As we thank you for your word, your word written down in scripture, your word come alive in Jesus. Speak to all our hearts, Lord, then, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 clearly says that there are elementary Christian teachings. Elementary Christian teachings, like teachings about repentance and faith. In fact, if you will go on to read verse 2, other elementary teachings are about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These are elementary, not in the sense that they are easy or simple. Repentance and faith are certainly never easy or simple. They are elementary in the sense that they are fundamental and basic. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 uses the word foundation. These teachings are essential. They lay the foundation, but then you have to move on. It's just like when you uh, learn a new language. Two years ago, I started to learn Korean briefly. I got hooked on Korean dramas. Now I'm watching Strong Girl Bong Soon. And at that time I was going to Korea. So my wife and I took a few classes. The first thing you do when you learn a language is that you have to know the alphabet and the numbering system. That's the foundation. Once you know the alphabet, you can move on to more complex things. You shouldn't forget the alphabet. But you can't just be learning the alphabet over and over again for months. You need to build on it. Now we may think that teachings about repentance and faith, teachings about the resurrection and eternal judgment, these are advanced stuff. No, Hebrews 6 says they are merely the foundation. They are the basics. They are the alphabet of Christian discipleship and education. After that, we have to go on to perfection. So today I want to talk about what perfection is. John Wesley preached two sermons on perfection, so I shan't reinvent the wheel. I will follow what he said. Firstly, by perfection, we do not mean that we are perfect in our mind. We have imperfect knowledge, imperfect understanding. We may know many things, but we are ignorant also about many, many more things. Even with the foundation of Christian knowledge, we know only in part. We know, for example, that God is three persons in one. But can we fully explain this? Can we describe precisely the resurrection of believers and eternal judgment? We can't. And the fact that there are different interpretations of many places in the Bible, that there are disagreements over many points of theology, all these show that we have imperfect knowledge and understanding. Now, moreover, we make errors and mistakes all the time. 
sometimes without realizing it. Last week, for example, I was chairing the local conference at Wesley Methodist Church, and they were asking for a budget for renovations. Here at Amokyo, we are also going to undergoing renovations, a bigger budget. Well, the Wesley budget was on the screen. It was uh, in the report I had in front of me. But as I was reading out the proposals for everybody to approve, one of the local conference members stopped me. He corrected me. He basically said I had stated the wrong figure. So I was surprised. I turned to Pastor Stanley beside me and I asked him, what did I say? And Pastor Stanley said, I don't know. <laughs> but it was obvious that I had made a mistake. Even with the figure in front of me, I didn't read out the correct figure. I didn't even realize that I had made a mistake. These things are only natural. Nobody is expected to be infallible. We all make mistakes. But when we make mistakes, when we have errors, it doesn't mean that we are less of a Christian. Christian perfection does not mean we are perfect in our minds. Christian perfection also does not mean we are perfect in our bodies. Because we have corruptible bodies that age and weaken and become sick. And everybody gets sick, even pastors and Christian leaders. Even when we have the confidence of praying for healing, we fall sick. This morning, for example, as I was telling the earlier service, I woke up early and I had a slice of toast with a cheese spread that I had brought back from Italy. I went to Italy in December and I, brought this, uh, I bought this cheese spread with truffles. And this morning, I took it out. I thought it had changed color. I smelt it, but it was gorgonzola cheese. It's stinky cheese. It smelled the same to me. And it's truffles. You don't throw away truffles. So I slathered it on the toast and I ate it. Within minutes, my stomach started to rumble. Half an hour later, my stomach had swelled up and hardened. I was in trouble. I think, you know, cheese definitely turned bad. I think at the most I can eat it once more before I throw it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't throw away truffles. I had a colleague who was a charismatic pastor, Methodist pastor. He spoke in tongues. He did great work planting churches. He was very involved in missions. He was a real man of God. But he still got cancer. He died early. Nobody is immune from falling sick, no matter how spiritual or godly you are, no matter how faithful a servant of God you may be, because we are all fallen creatures in a fallen world. We all fall sick. Our bodies are frail. So Christian perfection does not mean we have perfect bodies. Perfection, therefore, doesn't mean we become perfect beings, it doesn't mean that we are perfect in mind or body. It doesn't mean we are free from error or ignorance or sickness and disease. Yet, Christian perfection, according to the Bible, is possible and attainable. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 40, uh, 48, 
You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. You must be perfect. It's a command from Jesus. Why would Jesus command it if it was impossible? What was Jesus talking about? Matthew chapter 5 is about the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5 ends with Jesus telling us to love our enemies. He says we, we don't just love those who love us. Jesus said we cannot be people who just love our neighbours and greet our brothers. We have to do more. We have to be better than that. And then he says, we must be perfect as God is perfect. You may have noticed that usually I use the English Standard Version or ESV for Bible readings. But today I used the New King James Version for Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. And the reason I did this is that the Greek word in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 is translated perfection in the New King James Version. Whereas in other versions, it's translated maturity. Let us go on. To maturity, for example, in the ESV version. But it is the same Greek root word that is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, when Jesus tells us to be perfect, as our Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus was talking about being perfect in love, such that we are able to love even our enemies. And here I want to be very clear. In the Bible, love is never about having a warm, fuzzy feeling for someone. You have an enemy. How can you suddenly feel loving towards the person? You can't. It's very, very difficult. Love in the Bible always means right action. He may be your enemy, but you can still treat him right. You do not, for example, take revenge. You don't repay an eye for an eye. You don't gossip, but you can pray for the enemy. You can bless the enemy. As the Bible says, pray for those who persecute you. Bless them. Bless and curse not. That is love. Not feeling, but action. And that is what is also meant by perfection. Perfect love. It is you being able to love the Lord your God with all your heart, but with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Right action. Of course, perfection doesn't happen immediately when you believe in God. It might happen to some people. But for the, mass, the vast majority of Christians, loving God and loving others is a long and hard process. It takes effort. It is growth in discipleship. It is growing in holiness. So now we can see how it is the instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, all these stated in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, all these are foundational, basic, elementary even. But perfection is beyond that. Because teachings about the resurrection and eternal judgment are what you just have to know in your head. Perfection, action, requires a transformation of your heart. And 
that happens after we are saved, after we have faith. Now when we believe in Jesus, when we have faith in God, we are saved. God saves us and pardons us from all our sins. Because Jesus paid with his blood the price for saving us, God sees us as righteous. We may still be sinful. We may still be caught in our web of our own making. But God sees us as righteous because of Jesus Christ. And this is called justification. God justifies us. At the moment we are justified, we begin to change. We are not the same as before. We are renewed and transformed by the power of God. And this change is called sanctification. It is a process. John Wesley said of this sanctification, this real change in us, we feel the love of God shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us, producing love to all mankind and more especially to the children of God, expelling the love of the world, the love of pleasure, of ease, of honour, of money, together with pride, anger, self-will, and every other evil temper. In a word, changing the earthly, sensual, devilish mind into the mind which was in Christ Jesus. The end goal of this process of change, of this sanctification work, the end goal is Christian perfection. We Methodists also call it holiness. Again, some people may understand what holiness is. When I say the word holiness, what comes to your mind? Is it an image of a quiet, serious monk at work? Is it an image of a sacred place filled with spiritual power? Chances are you are thinking of somebody else, some other place. And I think the image you find difficult to see or form in your own mind when I say holiness is the image of yourself. We find it difficult to see ourselves as holy. And yet the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. And God says, you shall be holy, just like he is holy. How can we be holy as God is holy? We can be loving, right action, as God is loving. Holiness is nothing less than the invitation to experience in our infinite existence the fullness of the love and life of the infinite God. That's what the workbook says. Holiness, sanctification, perfection, they're all basically the same thing the transformation of our hearts to love 
as God loves. To treat others, strangers, enemies, the way God treats all of us. That is our goal. And we Methodists believe it is a goal that we can reach here on earth during our lifetime. We do not become perfect in heaven. We can be perfect in love now. And you may ask, if we are not perfect in mind and body, how can we be perfect in love? We can, because it is the work of God. Justification and sanctification are what God works in us. God works in us. We may think it is impossible for us to be perfect in love. Yes, but the Bible also tells us that Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And God is working in us. God works in us through the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit in the singular. It is one fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit works in us, He produces love. Godly love. God-like love. Because the love is led by God. So in his time, John Wesley was able to identify one or two people. Jane Cooper, for example, he names in his book, that he thought were perfect in love. I'm sure there are others today, people who are not perfect in mind, not perfect in body, people who still make mistakes, who still stumble, who still need to grow, but who are perfect in love. It is possible. Why must it be possible? Why must this perfection be possible? Because the world around us is driven by cruelty, violence, by fear and hate. Just read the papers. Perfection, perfect love, love to God and neighbour, that is what the world needs. Love to the outsider, love to the enemy, love to those who persecute, to the poor and homeless, to the 100th lost sheep, that is what the world needs. Perfect love. And sanctification is not something we can keep in church. We cannot hide it away in church. It must go into the world. And John Wesley called perfection in love the grand depositum which God has lodged with the people called Methodists. And for the sake of propagating this chiefly, he appeared to have raised us up. God raised us up as a people called Methodists, mainly to pass on this grand depositum, this perfection in love. And so perfect love is not an unattainable ideal. It is the work of God in us for the world. It is our work as Methodists to show perfect love to the world. But it is the calling of every disciple of God to love as God loves. 
That is our complete response to the love of God. When He loves us so selflessly, we can only love back the same way. How does perfection impact the world? Well, again, in his time, John Wesley wrote, The drunkard commenced to be sober and temperate. The whoremongers abstained from adultery and fornication, the unjust from oppression and wrong. He that had been accustomed to curse and swear swore no more. The sluggard began to work with his hands that he might eat his own bread. The miser learned to deal his bread to the hungry and to cover the naked with a garment. They left off doing evil and learned to do well. is how the world receives perfection. How do we love perfectly then? How do we attain perfection? On one hand, sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so we just have to be open to the promptings of the Spirit. We have to be open to transformation. Now, not everybody is open. It's understandable. People are uncomfortable with change. People are afraid and unsure. People are worried that Christianity will make too many demands on them. But God is not out to oppress us, to make unreasonable demands on us. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. God has good plans for us. God wants the best for us. And perfection is our future and our hope. So be open to God transforming you. Allow Him to work in you. Listen to how God is prompting you to act. Last week, Pastor Anthony uh, spoke very well about how he listens to God, how he has been listening to God, how God speaks to him. Very good example to follow. Listen to how God is prompting you to act. Now on the other hand, you also can take steps to be a better disciple, a more mature Christian. You can take steps to grow in love. When John and his brother Charles Wesley were in university, uh, they devised a list of probing questions that people in their small group that other people called the Holy Club, asked each other. And later, when John Wesley started the Methodist Revival Movement, all Methodists, all Methodists, met weekly to hold each other accountable in their Christian journey. And they did so by using the same questions, or a similar list, those same probing questions. These questions are known as the 22 questions. And there are some variations. But you can find them online by just simply searching John Wesley's questions. The questions are also in a Disciple's Heart uh, workbook. Those of you uh, using the workbook in your cell groups, you'll be eased into the questions. You'll be eased into using the questions every time you meet. Not all 22, two or three at a time. And today, you know, we may find these questions quite intrusive. That's mainly because we are not used to accountability groups. And if you're not in a cell group, 
what you can do is to ask yourself the questions and answer honestly. Ask yourself regularly the questions. What the questions do is that they make your discipleship more intentional. They make you think about how you are living your life as a Christian. And the questions are meant to, to nudge you, to jolt you a bit, to chocho you, you know. They're meant to help you. I won't tell you what the questions are. I won't give it away. You can read them in the workbook or online. But I ask everybody to use these questions just like all the Methodists of old did. Try them out. At the very least, you will see what Methodists do for accountability. In fact, for some time now, Methodist accountability groups uh, are being revived around the world. Not so much in Singapore. But today, uh, these accountability groups are known as covenant discipleship groups, uh, where Methodists covenant with each other to grow in discipleship. In Singapore, I think we much prefer Bible study because that tickles our intellect. Singaporeans also generally like to study. Generally. I do encourage all Christians to know uh, the Bible well. But learning about the Word, reading it, studying it, that is just foundational. You have to go beyond that to live it out in the world. You have to go on to perfection. And so now I leave you with a question. You should ask yourself honestly. Are you going on to perfection? Come, let us pray. Mighty God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in us, your working in us to make us better, more mature disciples, to make us more like Jesus. Help us, Lord, be open to your work. Help us to make an effort. Help us, Lord, to love perfectly as you love us. Because we are your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.